The woman you are about to meet has a lot to be proud of, but the truth is she's incredibly humble. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. She's an actress who has appeared in more than 20 films. She's written two children's books. She's the founder of a teenage writing mentorship program. She's a wife, a mother of two, and a lifelong lover of horses. She's the author of her first novel, The Truth About Horses. Her name is Christy Cashman, and this is her story. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Candy. Give our listeners just a quick synopsis of The Truth About Horses. The novel is about a young girl, Reese Tucker, who has experienced two tragedies in her life within a couple of years of each other. And that has emotionally separated her from her father. And he is grieving very much differently than she is. And they are so far apart that all they really feel towards each other is anger and a lot of displaced emotion. And so what happens is... They have to navigate their way back to each other. They also lose the horse farm that Reese knows and her father worked at. And it's something that Reese always is longing to get back to. 14-year-old Reese is the center of your story. How did you capture the language of Reese, her voice, her attitude, that 14-year-old eye roll that I experienced way too much of with my own daughter when she was that age? I'm going to guess it was almost like being an actress to prepare for a role and being observational. It was a little bit. And I have a huge family. I have nine brothers and sisters and about 25 nieces and nephews. And I've been around teenagers a lot. I even took some of the snarkiness from my own son. I think it was just pulling from all sorts of different sources of experience and making her as snarky and bratty as possible because I felt like that's how she was dealing with her loss. It made the writing fun because her voice came alive for me. You spent a lot of time at Grub Street and the work early on in your writing process. What was the greatest lesson during those early phases of the creative process for The Truth About Horses? To take yourself seriously as a writer. Once you decide that you have a story, Rather than talk about, oh, I'm going to write this one day, or I just need to find the time. For me, it was just a matter of doing it and, in a way, respecting the creative process and allowing it to happen to me as opposed to me happen to it. So I write a lot in a gazebo in Chatham at our place. And a lot of times I just sit in there and in this whole process, I mean, I have to look at the entire process. A lot of the days, nothing productive happened, but I was there ready in case something did. And I kind of wrote my way through writer's block. I kind of wrote my way through a lot of the agony that you experience when you're writing and when you're trying to restructure and trying to figure out which scene happens before another scene and putting one foot in front of the other as one does. And I think that just taking the time to write is where I learn the most. You know, I've heard those words so many times from songwriters as well. But on the other hand, were there times when you were not in the gazebo and you had an aha moment and you had to say, I got to go write this down? Well, that's what the iPhone's great for. The notes category, I think I have about 3,000 notes in that little app. And so I would hear a word when I would be out getting a coffee or something. I'd be on the train. I'd overhear something. Or I'd see a gesture 
that I hadn't seen before, and I'd incorporate that into it. So I'd be listening and watching all the time, and so I would just open my phone and talk into it, and I didn't even know where that little note might fit. Your husband, Jay, said to you, bring the ball down the field a little bit at a time. Make it real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when you're a creative person, you forget to put on your sort of technical business hat. And the technical business hat that you have to wear as an artistic person is that thing that says, treat it like your job, like it's your nine to five job. Once you start treating it like a job and respecting it like a job, I think it gives back. Well, to me, as a reader and as a teenager who lost her mother, for me, that was the most powerful part of this book. Mm. I took so much comfort in knowing for Reese that her mother had done a really good job of filling her up with a bunch of knowledge and so much wisdom. My favorite was... Once dreams are reached, they're meant to turn to dust, giving you a chance to dream again. Where did that come from? You're going to make me cry. (laughs) It was after my mom had died, and I'd been out in California living with my sister. And it was at a church service, actually, and a minister of the church said that. And I just remember thinking that my goals were out there, but I didn't necessarily, hadn't crystallized. I'd done some modeling and was into trying to get into some acting, which was all very difficult. And I didn't really have any training or anything like that, but I was just sort of going with it. And without really knowing what my goals were, but I knew I needed to say something creatively in some way. I knew I needed to express myself. I remember hearing those words and thinking, wow, that sort of brings my goals from someplace up that's out of reach down to eye level and made me think I can reach them and then go on to something else. Just because you write a book or you're an actor or you do great things, that's not all of you. There are so many different parts to us. And this was a big part, an important part for me, but there's a lot more. And it makes me excited about life and getting out of bed every morning. (laughs) When you write a book like this, filled with so much emotion, how hard is it to write those last few lines and let it go out into the world? I was excited to get to the last few lines because they had come to me before I was finished with the book. And I knew that they were powerful. And I knew that that's how I wanted to end the story. Even though I didn't have all of the rest of the story wrapped up and I didn't know how the scenes would fall into place— That was there. So I did have that place to drive to. And that gave me a lot of confidence as I wrote the story because I knew where I was going. Quotes about your book from my friend Carly Simon and yours, her daughter Sally, from Joyce Carol Oates, brilliantly creative people Hmm. supporting your dream. So this leads me to the importance of your friendships with women throughout your life. I'm even thinking of your writing posse. What have these friendships meant to you, particularly during this writing process? Ever since my mom died, I always felt like I was meeting people and running into people who she was sort of (laughs) sending your way. Sending my way, yeah. Whether that's true or not, I guess it doesn't really matter. And what I do feel is just sort of like a warm hug whenever Mm. I meet someone who I can relate to, 
who brings another lens to look through at life. I have so many friends. We don't have all the same interests. We don't have all of the same experiences, obviously, in all walks of life. And I guess that that's what I've been surrounding myself with intentionally or not intentionally. It's just happened. And it is a beautiful thing because I have such a great support system in so many women. Well, speaking of support systems, you have been touring the country with Jane Seymour, Mm -hmm. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Tell us about that friendship and how has that been going? Oh, my gosh. There's another one, right? She actually said that. She said, I'm not sure why we met, but I know there's a reason for it. It's such an amazing thing that in sort of a miracle in a way that we met each other when we met each other. She was in Ireland shooting Harry Wilde. I was there. We have a property there called Kilkey Castle. And I was doing the You Think mentorship program. Alan Devine was working with her on Harry Wilde. And he told her, he just said, hey, Jane, there's this very cool mentorship program. And don't you know, she came. She just showed up, met all the kids, and we've been friends ever since. And then when I gave her my book, she was so excited and said, it has to be a movie or a miniseries or whatever. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, (laughs) that's clear as well. Youth Inc., your nonprofit mentoring program for teens, was created during the pandemic. And you've just referred to it being in Ireland as well. You're passionate about helping teens find their unique voices. How is this program going? Oh, my gosh, I just got the best news today. So a film that we made called Bridget and the Wolves just won for the student film at the Dublin Underground Film Festival. So it was huge. I was driving here actually to your studio and I was like, oh, my gosh, when did that happen? It was just just announced. All the kids made the film. They wrote the story. They did the costume design. They did every aspect of the filmmaking. Some directed, some just wanted to act. Some were behind the scenes doing all the technical stuff, sound and everything like that. It's our second film, actually. But for it to get this sort of acknowledgement is really fun. You're like a mama bear. Yeah, (laughs) I am. Let's take us back. Your family. You are the ninth of 10 children. Can you paint us a picture of what life was like in your house and where are you from? I was born in Ohio and at the time my family had a poultry farm outside of Cleveland in Novelty, Ohio. I was named after Catherine Marshall's book, Christy. My mom was reading it while she was pregnant. My mom was an avid reader. My first memories are of our farm in Ohio and my whole family around. Now, Since I'm the ninth, of course, by the time I was four or five years old, my older brothers and sisters were moving off to college and all of that. So having sort of chaos around all the time was normal. And so I think that there's a certain amount of chaos that I just feel comfortable with that I need around in my life all the time to feel like things are normal. We had horses in our backyard. That was all I wanted to do was ride the horse. When my grandmother came over and she said, how's ballet going? And I hated ballet. And not only because my mother didn't give me a tutu like all the other girls in the ballet class, but because I had to wear my brother's shorts. <laughs> and she was like, you're fine. Those are fine. I didn't feel fine wearing my brother's no shorts. No tutu for Christy Cashman. <laughs> so you moved to North Carolina. I was seven. And we moved Out in the country, we were about 25 minutes from the local town there, which was Brevard, North Carolina, in the mountains. It was different, but 
then North Carolina became another whole experience. I was there until I was 19. You say that reading was one of the greatest gifts of your life. Your father loved poetry. He would encourage you to memorize it. Take us back to some of those early moments. What do you remember about that? I remember my mother always sitting in her blue rocking chair with her coffee, with the lamp on every evening, and my dad in his Lazy Boy. He was usually reading the paper. My mother was always reading a novel. She read out loud all of the Narnia books to us and so many more. But I just remember always my dad with the poetry book and walking around and reading out loud, wanting us all to memorize our favorite poem that he, you know, that he pulled out of the library. We didn't have a television. Our television broke when I was about five and we didn't get one back. And you never got it back. No. Your love of horses. What is it about a horse? that pulls you in, tugs at your heart. There's just a soul to a horse, a spirit to a horse, that maybe the fact that it can't be described is what is so intriguing, and the fact that they're so mysterious and even a little bit dangerous. You know, they're not necessarily all predictable. When you're around a horse, no matter how domesticated it is, no matter how well-trained it is, they have a certain amount of unpredictability just because they're an animal. And they're a large animal, so you have to respect that. And I think that maybe I like that. When you were growing up, who was your role model? My sisters. I have four older sisters. And I certainly had my sisters to look at as role models. I remember watching certain people who had horses at the barn that I had my horse at and watching them ride and thinking, oh, I wish I could ride like that one day. And Eventually, I got there. But these people probably didn't even know they were my role models. We all need someone who believes in us, someone who tells us you can do anything. And this can happen at any time in our lives. But who has that person been for you? My dad. My dad was a huge Norman Vincent Peale fan. (laughs) And he read Norman Vincent Peale to us all the time. And I think at some level, when you're young when you're, and you absorb everything, you just mm. believe it. Where does your work ethic come from? I think I learned that more than anything. I think probably from my husband. Tell us about the most interesting role you have played in a movie. You had said earlier that your acting career, kind of you didn't really have a lot of experience. You sort of manifested it. You worked hard. Tell us about some of those roles that have meant so much to you. I think that the most exciting role that I got was when I was hired for American Hustle. It was just an exciting time in my life. I was in North Carolina when I heard that I got, I think I'd done the call back. And then actually it was Angela Perry called and said. Who's been on our program. Good friend of both of us. (laughs) And she said, Christy, they want you to clear your schedule. That's the big sign that they really are interested. And so I was so excited about that because it was an even larger role when it was presented to me because they had to cut a lot of my role out of that movie because I don't know if you remember, there was a huge snowstorm in the studio they were shooting in, the roof caved in. And it was a big deal back then when they were shooting. And so actually the part that I had was supposed to be shooting like three or four days and it was cut down to one day. So that was a little bit of a bummer. 
But it was still fantastic because I got to be in that film. I got to meet so many interesting people. David O. Russell was really nice to me. And, you know, he made it fun. It was a really cool experience. You spend your time between Boston and Cape Cod and a castle in Ireland. What brought you there? And please tell us about the castle. And by the way, I have to mention that you are the second woman on this show to own a castle, not the only one, because her name is Lady Fiona Carnivan. She owns Highclere Castle, where Downton Abbey is filmed. Oh, my goodness. So there, you are the second woman with a castle. Tell us about your castle. Well, I was just going to say, her castle can't be as nice as my castle. (laughs) I, I think I'll have to check. We're gonna have you to can do... have me over, she can have me over, and then I'll tell everybody how it goes. Oh, you have to come over. We'll have a dueling castle competition. So Jay and I were married in Ireland. I was going over there before we met to go horseback riding, and I would go over with a group of people. We would stay at the Dunraven Arms in Adair, and right across the road from the Dunraven Arms was the Adair Manor. And so when I went and Jay came along for one of these trips, we're at the Dunraven Arms, which is beautiful and nice. But he he says, why aren't we staying over there? Because this place was phenomenal, beautiful, just a gorgeous estate. And so eventually we checked in there and got a room there and ended up getting married there. And that was in 1999. I can't believe it. Ever since then, we would go over. Jay would say... When I would go horseback riding, he'd say, well, I'm going to go look for a castle, which everybody thought he was joking. He was serious. (laughs) And apparently he wasn't because (laughs) 20 years later, he bought Kilkey Castle. And Jay Cashman is a very famous and very well-known, well-loved guy here in the Boston area, very successful developer. Your children's books were inspired by a true story about a monkey at your castle. Correct. That's kind of interesting because... I had already started writing The Truth About Horses, and Grub Street had their board retreat there. And Jill Carp came, and she was, like, so complimentary. She loved the experience there, loved the castle. And she said, you know, my husband and I are hoteliers, and we got into it a little later in our lives, and that's the white elephant. And I think they started with the Wawinet. Anyway, she said, you're a writer. She said, you should write a children's book based on the castle. Use the monkey. You know, it's all there for you. Then I was at a seminar, a writing seminar, and one of the instructors said, if you have writer's block while you're writing your novel, try to write a children's book. Because that sort of opens up your mind. It automatically brings the fun back into writing in the joy, too, and makes you think more succinctly, whereas a novel can be so spread out and you can get in the weeds so easily. And so I did that and it really worked. And so I just went with it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. Tell us the names of the two children's books you've written. Petrie, the not-so-average monkey of Kilkey Castle. And the second one is Petrie's Next Things. What would your 14-year-old self think about where you are right now? Would she be surprised? Yeah, I think so. Maybe not surprised that I wrote a book. Maybe surprised that it took so long. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, are there any life lessons, Christy, that you've had to learn the hard way? Yeah. One of them is taking myself seriously as an artist and thinking that there were shortcuts to get to a place instead of just saying, 
I know this is going to take time and I'm going to do it anyway. And another great thing that I heard was when you decide to write a novel, someone might tell you that it will take between five and 10 years, you know, between the writing, the drafts, editing, revisions, all of that. And then they said, but keep in mind, those five to 10 years are going to pass whether you write a novel or not. (laughs) So I took that to heart. You've mentioned your husband, Jay, Mm -hmm. and you've mentioned your sons. How did motherhood change you? Sometimes motherhood brought out the worst in me. All those things that you sort of tend to get by with, the way you thought the world was and the rules that you thought applied and all of that, all of a sudden change with kids. And it sort of brings the fears bubbling up. Mm. All the things that you thought you'd gotten past, I think, or I'd gotten past, all the things I thought that I knew, I had to revisit because there were all of a sudden all these different rules to life. And this little person is not you, and they don't deal with the same things, the same ways that you do. They are their own little complex emotional creature. (laughs) There's a scene in the book where Reese is blindfolded on the horse, treasure. The lesson she learns about trust, Christy, is so profound. Can you close your eyes and teach us what she learns? Reese learns that in order to move on, you have to let go. She learns that loss is as much a part of life as new beginnings. And she learns that sometimes when we're in our darkest place, in the scariest place, nothing can get us through that, not even our own belief, unless we go really deep inside to grasp something that we don't understand entirely. As we begin to close, thank you for all this time you've spent with me today. Can you share with us what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think it has to be for me personally is just right. And for anyone else that would apply to if you have something that you want to do, just do it. I guess the old Nike saying, I don't know, that it's a reason that slogan has gone so far. But it's true. Just go for it. Put yourself out there. It's scary, but we only live once. (laughs) (laughs) My final question for you. I do believe that we live our lives in chapters. And I'm wondering, in this chapter of your life, Christy Cashman, what does success mean to you? It's funny that you should ask that because the book's only been out a couple weeks. And Of course, I'm, you know, trying to be on top of sales and where that is and what's going on and how it's received and all of that. But I think today was the first day that I said, it's already a success. (laughs) And now you're going to make me cry. (laughs) The fourth time. I just had a sensation. It's more of a feeling than a thought. And I guess that that's another thing that I tried to incorporate or bring into the book is that our thoughts are so limited, you know, and our feelings come from something else. And I don't know what it is or why or anything like that, but I've learned to as much as possible trust my feelings. Christy Cashman, I want to say thank you so much for being my guest today on the story behind her success. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that's the story behind her success for this week. My thanks to author, actress, producer, and mom, Christy Cashman. 
The book is called The Truth About Horses. It's published by Go Spark Press, which focuses on female-driven creative work. Available worldwide wherever books are sold. The Truth About Horses. Find out more about Christy, christycashman.com. And thank you so much for listening. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature for the show, just reach out and nominate her today. Go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.